Pastor Mark, and I am glad to be here. Um, I just came down from Thomasville, our Thomasville campus, and uh, had a big cry <laughs> during, the, during the mess. I don't cry a lot, but when I cry, man, I cry. And uh, uh, you'll, you'll probably find the part that, that I cried uh, at. There's a, a family in Thomasville, the Singletaries, that I care deeply about, and they're uh, their son had cancer, uh, um, and he's been cancer-free for 10 years, but uh, yeah, it's a very, very cool. Uh, but it was just kind of a, an emotional time as we're, we're talking about uh, infinite love and, and restoration, and uh, they were just sitting there, and I looked over, and they were like looking at me, and I just busted out crying. I mean, like, it was... So, uh, here... I, I'm glad my pain is amusing to you. No, just kidding. Uh, but I uh, um, also just want to let you guys know, uh, last week I realized that I could no longer see the words on the page. So I have these handy-dandy magnifying glasses. So I've been struggling trying to figure out uh, how to put them on and then see your beautiful faces because I can't... If, I have them on, I can't see you. So I've been kind of working through that. So I'm trying to age gracefully. So I appreciate your grace in my attempt to age gracefully. So uh, this, this series uh, has been very unexpected for me in a, in a lot of ways. This is one of those series that, that a lot of great conversation and discussions have been born out of what we've talked about on Sundays, and a lot of that has been lived out in the growth groups, and I've got a ton of um, Facebook messages and things like that, and uh, a couple of couple of just really things that, that surprised me is how, how little um, we think about our ultimate hope or the reason for our hope. And really, the idea of infinite love and being in infinite love for eternity. And, and hopefully, well, I know that's, that, that's stirred some good thoughts in people and just really asking really great questions. Uh, the other question um, that I'm really happy about is that people are really concerned, am I going to know my loved ones in heaven? And... Well, that's what we're really going to be talking about tonight as we finish up this series is this, this idea of will we know one another? And then what does it really mean to, to experience infinite love? And although Scripture doesn't explicitly uh, talk about us knowing one another, I, I do think that uh, everything that we know about God is God is a relational God. And, and all the way from Genesis to Revelation, in Genesis, God says, hey, it's not good for man to be alone. And that's why uh, he created Eve. And all the way to Revelation where he says, you know what, when part of the kingdom of God for eternity, every nation, every tribe, every tongue is, is going to be there. And there's uh, no longer going to be racism or hate or uh, jealousy and all of these things. 
I think it would probably be a real big uh, paradigm shift, a relational paradigm shift for God uh, to have eternity and infinite love if we did not know each other. Uh, this evening, we're going to spend the majority of our time in two different script, uh, passages, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, and those of you who are pastors, we refer to this in our, in our secret pastor meetings as uh, the chapter of love or the love chapter. And this is uh, 13, uh, 1 Corinthians 13 is the one that you usually hear in weddings, usually out of context in weddings, but, but it's good. It all works. And uh, also we're going to flip over to the end of the Bible um, in 1 John, and we're going to be in 1 John as well. But kind of really trying to answer this question, um, or at least get a better idea of, of what it's going to be being immersed in infinite love for eternity, uh, we have Paul writing about love in, in Corinthians chapter 13. And let me read to you, starting in verse 12, and we're going to circle back around, but I think that this actually really sets the stage for us. And I just got to tell you, every time that I've heard this particular uh, couple of verses read, um, it's always been in the context of, of knowledge and not relationally. Let me, let me read this. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God knows me completely. Now, I think in, in, in the modern world where knowledge was king and uh, people really focused on this idea of, hey, I will know everything and I'll have this knowledge, but by doing that, we have to really throw out everything in context of that chapter of what Paul's talking about. What Paul is talking about is how we love each other and having interaction with one another. And I think that he hooks back around and, and solidifies that point when he says, just as God knows me completely. Think about that. That, that we will know each other as God knows us. But we will be taken to a place that we are no longer bound by our brokenness. Sure, the, the physical brokenness will be gone, but also the spiritual brokenness and the emotional brokenness will be gone, that we will be restored in 2 Corinthians 5.2, Paul writes, We grow weary in our present bodies, and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. And what I think is trying to be communicated here is this idea that, you know what, our new bodies are, are not going, they, that they are going to be free from the broken, messy mess that we have made from this world will be free of disease and free of pain and free of fear. 
And this, I, this idea that, that right now that how we know each other, we know each other through our own broken lens and we see the broken shell of other people. But what eternity will be, what infinite love will be, our experiences going to be that we are going to be able to be seen by our loved ones and we are going to be able to see others as God sees them. And that is people who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ and been restored in their new heavenly bodies. And this is the part where I was just kind of thinking about what that would look like and, you know, living in eternity in a place that, yeah, you know what? Little kids aren't going to get cancer and die. But I was thinking about uh, Dr. Gortney and Amy Gortney, and, and he's been blind for many years, and how magnificent will it be for him to see the beauty of his bride, but not how he remembered it, but how God sees her. How glorious will that be? To to uh, be able to really, if you think about me, you know, everything that you know about me is through the broken lens of your brokenness, but also my brokenness that, that I portray. Like I have anxiety and, and depression. I've been very open about that. But the, the truth is that that paints a lot of how I interact with people and, and, and the amount of, of depth of relationships and, and things uh, in my life. And this idea of, of infinite love that, if I can reread this verse and rethink it through the relational lens, now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. We will see each other with perfect clarity. And that, I, that all I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely, just as God knows me completely. And Jesus tells us that, that you know what, that God is spirit. In fact, in John chapter 4 and verse 24, he says, For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And the reality is that our physical beings... Our physical self is a gift from God. That God doesn't need us to be physical. He can see our spirit that it was given as a gift. And unfortunately, that gift has been broken for many of us. But the reality is that, that you know what, our physical gift is not for His benefit, but for ours and others. And to be able to see beyond our brokenness, to be beyond our sickness and our hurt and our pain, although it may be even if it's emotional or physical or spiritual, and to be able to experience one another and see one another as God in His infinite love sees us. So a lot of questions about, okay, so what does that really look like? What, what is infinite love and, and how do we interact with that? And really for those of us who are followers of Christ, those of us who are the living manifestation of, of 
God's kingdom come right now. We talked about that last week. Um, John does a real great job of kind of unpacking what a follower of Christ looks like and how their key identifier is love as a manifestation of perfect love. If you open up your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4, in verse 7, John writes, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. What has to exist for love to exist? Others, right? Uh, and for God to exist, uh, for God to be love, God also has to be relationship. And we know this is the Trinity, and this is important for the, the second part, that, that God is intertwined with His Spirit and, and His Son, that there's no separation. And his, also His relationship with us, that He invites us in to this perfect relationship, this idea that God is love. But really, what's the definition of love, right? I like so many different people. Maybe your definition of love is different than my definition of love. Well, that, there, there's kind of our temporal expression of love and our temporal uh, understanding of love, and then there's the eternal expression of love. And that's where we get to circle back around and look at 1 Corinthians 13. And where Paul kind of makes uh, a framework or a list. Now, I know Pastor Eric a few weeks ago says that he doesn't like pastors who, you know, take Paul's lists and preach on them. But Eric's not here, and I am, so I'm going to read you the list. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And again, this is, this is not meant to be all-inclusive, but this is to give us a framework and an understanding of what a godly love looks like. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Love does not demand its own way. Love is not irritable. Love keeps no record of being wronged. Love does not rejoice about injustice. Love rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Love is always hopeful. And then this final one that I, I think is so important. Love endures through every circumstance. And what the picture that Paul is, is trying to paint here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is this, this picture of what a pure, holy, infinite love looks like. And we know that God is love. And to understand that infinite love endures through every circumstance, that God will always be there with you, that God does not rejoice in injustice, that, that God does not demand His own way because love cannot demand its own way. But God is patient and kind. And God will never give up on us and never lose faith. That this is the, the framework of our understanding of an infinite God, of a God who is infinitely love. 
going back to 1 John in chapter 4 and verse 9, John writes about how love, real love, is sacrifice. Verse 9, John showed how much he loved us. Excuse me, did I say John? God. God showed us how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. That we might. It's up to us. Verse 10. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Here's the reality. You want to know what you really love? What are you sacrificing for? What would you sacrifice for? Those of us who are parents, parents, raise your hand. I don't do this a lot, so humor me. Okay, if you have even, if you're like 20% healthy, it wouldn't even be a decision for you to think, would I give my life, would I sacrifice my life for my child, right? It's true. That every single one of us who are, who are parents, we would give our lives for any one of our children if we even believed that there was a slight hope that, that, that they would be able to prevail over whatever adversity that, or harm that they were facing. It shows the depth of your love. We have all sorts of different loves. And the truth is, if we can find and look at what we're willing to sacrifice for, then that is what we truly love. Many, many people, they'll sacrifice their families for a career. We've experienced that, right? We at least know about that. We know that, that there, are, are, there are times when women and men, men and women, pr put priority over their prestige or their, or their position or money over their families, and, and they sacrifice their families. Happens with pastors, too. Uh, one of my, uh, I always feel funny when I say something like this. One of my favorite pastors is Andy Stanley. I, I, don't, I don't know. It's not like he's a TV show, but I mean, he's a real person. But I, 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 I am impacted by what he says, right? And uh, when, you, when you go to uh, one of his uh, conferences that he puts on for uh, church leaders, one thing that he always says, you can be guaranteed that he's going to say it, is he'll say, pastors, do not sacrifice your family on the altar of ministry. You know, we get, we get confused a lot of times, that we get confused that, that ministry is God, but God is not ministry, and ministry is not God that we are the bride of Christ, and we have been called to a high calling, absolutely. I 100% believe that the church is the only ordained, God-ordained organization on earth to speak into every aspect of a person's being. But our primary ministry is our, is our families and our relationships 
and our friends. And that doesn't mean we're to be lazy or, or not work hard. But it is to look at our lives and say, what am I willing to sacrifice for? And what is the life that God has envisioned for me? And if those two things do not line up, that we need to figure out how we're going to close that gap. John continues in verse 11. He says, Dear friends, since God loves us that much, we surely ought to love each other. Talking about sacrificing his son for us. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us. And his love is brought to full expression in us. What's being communicated here is when we abide in God's love, that we are transformed. That by, being, by encountering the one true living God, that your life should change. Not because you decided to follow a bunch of rules or, or a particular type of teaching. Take away the church, take away the Bible. If you have an encounter with the one true living God who is infinitely, infinite love, that by the very presence and interaction with that infinite love that you should be radically changed, or at very least changed a little bit. And in, from that interaction that you will become an expression of that love. In verse 13, John continues and says, And God has given us the Spirit as proof that we live in Him, in Him in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. All who confess that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in His love. And again, real love is proof of our citizenship. Real love, godly love, holy love, infinite love, is the proof that we have had that encounter with a living God. continues on and says, God is love. And all who live in love live in God. And God lives in them. And as we live in God, listen now, listen to this. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus in this world. That we are the expression of the kingdom. We are the expression of heaven. And the cool thing about it is, 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 is we exist and abide in that love that, that our love grows. We don't have to get it all at the same time. And this is why the church is so important because we are to create the environment for this infinite love to take root and grow. You guys heard that uh, parable that Jesus told about the parable of the soils? Yes, no, maybe so. 
Yeah, okay. If you haven't heard it, basically, or just to remind you, this is kind of how it goes, is there's these different soils, and there's this guy who's, who's spreading the seeds. The guy's meant to be Jesus. And, and, he's, and, and the seeds are the love of God. And some of the seeds fall on a, on a path, and the path is hard, and, the, and, and the, the, the seeds don't grow. Some other seeds get into some weeds, and they grow up, and then they're choked out. Another, some other seeds go in some rocky soil, and they sprout up really fast, but then they're like fried by the sun. But then these seeds, they fall in the good soil. And you know what happens with those seeds? Those seeds grab root and they grow up and we're told in this parable that that one seed, that it multiplies by 10, 100, 1,000 fold. I don't really know exactly what it's in, but it's something like that, right? Now, if the seed is love and Christ is, is the sower and, and the seed is, is God's love, and all of this soil all around is, is all messed up, but the seed comes into this one good soil. How did the soil get that way? Us, the church. That it is our job to till the soil and create the environment for love to take root and to grow into a full expression of God's infinite love. To, uh, in California, uh, many, many years ago before I, I moved here, that, that uh, I wanted to grow my own guacamole tree. For you guys, you'd probably know it as an avocado tree, but for me, it was a guacamole tree. And all my friends said, just go to Home Depot and you can buy this, this avocado tree and you can put it into the ground and like they like guarantee next year you'll 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 have uh guacamole berries avocados right and and i'm like you know i i don't want to go that route i want to i want to i want to grow it from the beginning i want to be part of the the whole life cycle i want to be part of creating the environment and i'm sure we've all done this as kids you know taking the avocado and you put the toothpicks in it in the water yeah if you haven't done that, that's why you're so messed up. This, this will ch change your life. You know, get an avocado seed, put it in the water, and it, and it sprouts up. And when it sprouts up, you, you take it and you, you, you prepare this, this uh, soil. It's not, when you prepare it, it's not dirt anymore. It's soil, right? It's just it's like a miracle. And, and you, you put it in there and... You know, for the first year, it takes a lot of attention, and you love it and everything. And I, I loved my, my uh, guacamole tree and the making. In fact, I gave it a name, Guaki. <laughs> I would talk to Guaki, and I'd love Guaki. And uh, Guaki grew, and, and I had this wretched dog, Gretzky, who I loved too. But he, he liked to run around the house and pee on the tree and, and stuff like that. So I had to put like a little fence around Guaki. And, and as Guaki grew, it, it takes, uh, if you know anything about guacamole trees, that, that it takes about 7 to 12 years for you to get your first guacamole berry, right? And, and 
Uh, I was growing up in about year seven. My guacamole tree, uh, one day when I went out to talk to guacchi, I noticed all its leaves had turned brown and were all spotty and nasty. And I was, I was terrified. I was like, oh my gosh, what's, what's uh, happening? And uh, so I went and I talked to one of the gardener guys and everything. And, and what I found out was that a parasite had come and was killing guacchi. It was feeding off of guacchi. And what I had to do is take this oil and basically, you know, pastor words, anoint my, uh, anoint my guacchi with, with, with oil. And uh, all the Pentecostals are like, yeah, amen. And uh, uh, cover the leaves. So, and, and, and it, it um, killed the parasite, but, but saved the tree. But all the leaves fell off, and it was, it was like really a, a, sad, a sad thing. But uh, so I, I, I had all this hope that I was going to have, you know, guacamole that year because it was the first year that it was kind of plausible, and uh, it just didn't happen. But the next year, my tree came back, and uh, I started to get these, like, uh, little uh, guacamole berries, but they, they weren't, they never grew to maturity, and... Um, uh, then I moved here. <laughs> True story. I never got any guacamole off it, but somebody is enjoying the fruit of that labor. And uh, but the but the cool thing is that that you know what? That's what we do with people. That's the church that we that we create the environment and we. Pre- and we grow and we put little fences so people don't pee on our new converts and 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 we uh, we let it grow and we anoint them in oil and and all that. Did I take the metaphor too far? No, okay, yes, yeah, so I get a mixed response here. But but that's what the church does, and it's not always you know pretty and it's not always perfect and and you, you try to do the right thing, and you try to protect, and sometimes you protect too much, and sometimes you don't protect enough. But the hope is that one day that, that, that follower of Christ, because you created the environment to experience infinite love, that they will, they will give off and be the ambassadors of love ten, a hundred, a thousand times. And the kingdom of God is ever so more present because of their time with you. He goes on and talks about how real love expels all fear. It says, such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. Remember, we're talking about now, but we're also talking about eternity. Being in eternity for a place, in place where perfect love, infinite love expels all fear. But also, perfect love, when we experience that, that, that enables us to take steps into places that we never dreamed that we would go. It goes on, if we were afraid, it is for the fear of punishment. Fear the pre- we're doing too much, we're doing the wrong thing, all of these kind of things. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loves us first. I think about 
the 13 people from our community who are down in Guatemala right now, building a house for a single mother that they never met before, do, doing three medical clinics. You know that uh, two people that joined them flew from Haiti over there. Uh, and this person is a mother and a son who are from Thomasville, Georgia. How does a mother and a son who's 10 years old go from Thomasville, Georgia to Haiti? Not the resorts of Haiti, but the slums of Haiti. How do they go from Thomasville, Georgia to the slums of Haiti and then jump on a plane and and go over to Guatemala and not be scared to death? That is a person who's experienced infinite love. We're told that God does not love and God does not have a spirit of fear or timidity. But God gives us a spirit of power in him. Last thing. And here's, the, here's really where the rubber meets the road, the reality of, of, of it all. That real love is hard. This is not for the faint of heart. It's not easy. It's not convenient. It does not happen by uh, just chance. It's something that takes sacrifice and focus to be part of. And I think these next words are really maybe hard for some of us to hear. If someone says, I love God, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their Christian brothers and sisters. I just wanted to conclude with this. I don't know about you, but I did not sign up to be a follower of Christ to experience the ordinary. I did not sign up to follow and be immersed in infinite love to experience the everyday, the natural. I can do that without God. The reality is that real love is hard. The reality is that loving the lovable is natural. Any one of us can do it. Lovable people, by nature, are lovable. Right? Circular logic, but it's true. Loving the unlovable Now, that's supernatural. That is something extraordinary. That is not the history of the human race. The history of the human race is not infinite love. It is war and disease and hatred and racism. And whoever is the most powerful or has the most weapons, or who is ever the most outrageous, wins. 
But I have something to tell you. There's something else. There is an infinite God who has infinite love, who is inviting us to be part of his story. And his message is you do not have to settle for the ordinary. You don't have to settle for the mundane. You do not have to settle for the regular. You do not have to go down the path that most of humanity has gone down. That you can experience something different. That you can experience something extraordinary. You can be immersed in my love and by being immersed in my love that you can be radically transformed to a point that you can experience the supernatural and have the supernatural power to love the unlovable. To bring my kingdom come and have my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You guys pray with me. God, real love is hard. It's a high bar. God, our desire is to create an environment that your love will grow. That we will be transformed by an experience in you and that your love will come to full expression in us. God, we look forward to the future where everyone dances and everyone laughs that there is no anxiety or depression or disease or fear because your infinite love has expelled everything and that you have brought everything back to the restoration of your original vision to have an unbuffered relationship with you and be in perfect harmony with one another seeing each other as clearly as you see us. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.